most wonderful show is Keeping Up With The Joneses. Welcome to episode 165 of Keeping Up With The Joneses. This week, we're joined by special guest Elena Stratton, who will be sharing some of her lessons on how to navigate seasons of disappointment well. Before that, you look resplendent. I do? Yeah, you're in your pink flannel. I am. The state flag of Tennessee. Yes, Maybe flannel. not pink. <laughs> Maybe not pink, but flannel, anyway. It, we kind of got psyched out this week because it looked like it was going to be fall. Yes. And then it was like, surprise! I know, I got so excited about fall. degree weather. Well, 90 degree weather. It was. It was 90 something today. I'm wow. like, this is insane. I would remind you that I've been indoors all day. You have. In my natural habitat. <laughs> air conditioning Behold, and fast Wi-Fi. the Jones in his natural habitat. <laughs> I know we say this every week, but this felt like an especially full week. It really was. A wonderfully full week. A great week. Helped by the fact that School of Supernatural Life has kicked off officially. It has. It has begun. Riddle me this. Yes. It's Sunday night. Yes. Doesn't Monday, a mere six days ago, feel like weeks ago? Oh, it does. It seriously <laughs> feels like at least two weeks ago. This week we taught on hearing God's voice. Yes. I had to, th- I had to think for a second. <laughs> and activated all our students. It's so good to be back with our students. Yeah. I love, I love, yeah. I, it's really funny because whenever you get a new class of students, they don't know you and you don't really know them. And so it's kind of like this first date thing where you're, you're working out, you know, what kind of jokes can I tell? Where can I go, you know, with yeah. my stories? And what's fun is half the students are second years who, who do know me and I do yeah. know them. Yeah. So you have like a bit of a landing pad there to yeah. Yeah, have fun. But I really enjoyed it. I yeah. I really enjoyed it. And students, if we haven't had a chance to say hello to you yet, please come and say hi to us this week. We do our best in between sessions to find you and, and say hello, but it's our goal to greet every student individually. And so if we haven't done, but you, please, and you see us, please come up and say hello. We'd love that. So good. Yeah, we had a great week. Um, and then Monday night, Shannon taught, didn't she? She taught on identity. Yeah. It's almost like the Lord is up to something. I think maybe he is. Because Jeff taught on identity for the last three weeks. He did. And she started, she knew that she was going to be speaking, you know, about five or six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And the Lord told her to speak on identity. So she had started putting it together. And then when Jeff started speaking on it, she was like, wait, wait, you're taking all my stuff. But she went in a slightly, I mean, not a different direction. She just you know, took a pit stop in a in a different yeah, rest stop did. than Jeff had. Yeah. And I really loved it. Yeah, it was very good. It was very challenging. Do you know what the highlight of my week was? The highlight of your week was cuddling with me. Baby, that's always special yes. cuddles with AJ. It's the <laughs> highlight of all of my weeks. <laughs> I would venture to guess the other highlight of your week was the Apple ball announcement. Oh, look at you with yes. the proper names. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's hard. I shouldn't say it was a highlight. I had so many highlights this week. This was yeah. a fantastic week. It Teaching really with the students was yeah. a highlight. Special cuddles with you was a highlight. <laughs> Apple keynote was a highlight. Being away, which we'll talk about in a second. But nevertheless, Apple announced new watches, new phones, new Apple TV, and they all hosted it all on a new campus. Yeah. It's an amazing building. What I am super impressed with you for... <laughs> Is Go on. <laughs> one of the things is um, I know that you want to start watching it as soon as it airs, but you waited until we got home, got the kids in bed and could watch it together. Well, the reason for that was I was teaching while it was happening. I know, but I like to think that it was because you wanted to do quality time. It was that. The I'll be honest. It was all quality time. It I just thought, I want to be share this moment with my wife. Sometimes mm-hmm. you love to sit and watch them with me, or at least I think you do. And other times you're totally indifferent. 
What well, what makes you decide you want to watch it? Do you know I usually like the fall one and I don't really like the spring one. Do you mean the summer one, the developers one? Yeah. Worldwide developers Yeah, conference? the developers one. Because it's like, hey, all this stuff is coming, but you can't really use it right now. Or you can, you can add it to your devices, but it's been glitchy as all get out and cause you <laughs> frustration until they finally iron it out, at which point you're getting it at the same time as everybody else. And plus, most of your, would this be right to say, most of your use case, you use your phone more than you use the laptop, wouldn't you say? Mm. Yeah, I mean, yes. Well, let me say it another way. Yes, of you, course. The changes they make to iOS affect you far greater than the changes they make to macOS. Yes. And you get a new phone every year because we're on the iPhone upgrade program, so you're always interested to know what phones are coming out. Right. You don't necessarily care about all the nerdy technical details. Right. Pretty much all I care about is what upgrades have been made to the camera. So let me ask you a redundant question. They released the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10. Have you got any interest in upgrading to the iPhone 8? No. Because? Because the 10 has like all the camera and cool stuff on it. Like it has a, a better a better camera, better screen. I mean, basically, if I have my phone, I'm probably taking pictures. I just love taking pictures, which is why I have 25,000 pictures that I need to sort through on my phone. Not even joking. 25,000 pictures. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like uh, the upgraded camera stuff. You know, it's fun. Since the, the keynote came out, uh, I got to follow a bunch of people who were actually there on the day and got to see the photos from the Steve Jobs Theater that they purposely built underground. And, you know, I love attention to detail. And so watching all of it, I mean, here's a little attention to detail. The Steve Jobs Theater obviously is completely round. I say obviously, like like everybody knows, it's it's a circle. I mean, obviously, <laughs> but it is. It's it's a circle. At least the with entrance a bite out of it. It's a circle. Easy, easy. <laughs> Sorry. So it's round. Yes. Well, all the tables they use in the hands-on display area are curved at the same circumference as the room because it would look. How do you weird. know that? I didn't see that. They well, didn't show us that. I know, but people who care posted that on the internet, and I care, and I looked at it, and I was like, that's amazing. So, you know those beautiful oak tables they have in the Apple Store? Uh Well, instead of being straight ones, they had those purposely built with the same, like I said, same curve to match the room. That is amazing. Well, not only that, but all the display mats, you know, the leather pads that they have out there for all the new watches, they're also curved to match the table, which matches the room. And I was like, "I, I love all those details. I love the delight is in the details. I just love it. Okay, I, I need to, to see those happy. pictures later. Baby, your wish is my command. Yes, I'd like you to say that more often as well. <laughs> <laughs> say, say it again, say it again. So that was say Tuesday. It. Wednesday, you led a pastor's meeting. I did. And you continued the theme of identity. I did. Just, again, God's up to something. Yes. And then Thursday, we left for Georgia for the weekend to lead a marriage retreat with our friends out at Covenant Life Worship Center yeah. in Chickamauga. That's right, I said Chickamauga. Chickamauga. I didn't know it was a place till I went there. It's close to Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm from Scotland. We we can't talk. We have some crazy names. Say say Chickamauga with a Scottish accent. I don't know if I can legitimately do a Scottish accent anymore. Just like soft launch into it. Like say some other things like heat, punts, new, and then Chickamauga. <laughs> Chickamauga. Well, it depends where you're from. <laughs> Chickamauga. Chickamauga. Now say Chattanooga. Chattanooga. <laughs> Chattanooga. Yeah, you got to drop your T's if you're from Dundee. Oh, Chattanooga. 
<laughs> it's hard to just drop your T's. <laughs> it takes years of practice. <laughs> so we were in the middle of a 27,000 acre private college. Yeah, it was a beautiful Barry College. Yeah, didn't or even know it existed. Barry, is it college? Barry Campus? Barry? I don't know. Something. We should look it up. We should. But right in the middle, well, not in the middle, but kind of the northeast corner of this 27,000 acres is nestled what was an old dairy farm that the guy who ran Chick-fil-A bought. Did he buy? I I should get our facts straight. I I don't think he bought it. I think, but I think he runs it somehow. He's dead, so he probably doesn't run it. Well, that would make it more difficult to run. (laughs) Well, at some point he ran it. Right. He sunk a ton of money into it. Yeah. And boy, is it gorgeous. Stunning. It it was... By far the most beautiful retreat center I have ever seen. The most excellent. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Everything and, about and it was gorgeous. And we've been to a lot of retreat centers over the years. Just, again, little attention to detail. Yeah. There was like a Sonos speaker in every room that was playing worship that would turn on when you walked in the room. Mm-hmm. There was an umbrella stand with... Perfectly folded umbrellas waiting for you, lest you need them, which we didn't. Well, I took one out to Buy keep the sun off me. every door. We'll just ignore that. Your pale white Scottish skin. You're like, you just wanted to use the umbrella because you're so fascinated. The conference center where we'd actually do our sessions. Beautiful. Had the best data projector I've ever used. Mm-hmm. And then outside of it, there's all these nooks and crannies with like leather sofas and little tables just inviting you to sit down and chat with people and process what you just heard. And then there was like an ice cream bar and a popcorn machine. And And the food was great, which is really unusual. All the staff would come out and put out uh, like frisbees and footballs and cornhole games and just out in the middle of the, the square and then at night pick them all up and remove them and then set up tiki torches and Put out, Bonfires oh. with benches around it, and everything was just was like, amazing. This is amazing. Yeah, and, and and then on top of that, the group we were with was amazing. Absolute riot. Yeah, so funny. What's well, weird when you go because you you know you're visiting, you don't know what the culture is going to be like within the first five minutes of the first night. I was like, well, we're going to be fine. We're going to be we're just gonna fine. Going to have an absolute riot. Seriously though, you fall in love with people when you go on these kind of retreats, and they're just this group is so open and loves each other so well and it's really obvious so it was really really fun there's like 44 couples it's amazing you counted them no i asked oh well actually i did count them what you do is you count all the legs and then you divide by two and then you divide by two again and you get the amount of couples <laughs> sorry i have no words <laughs> i gotta dry I got to fly my drone too. You did. Wait, what does that have to do, voice? <laughs> I don't know. I'm like worried because I'm like, oh, actually, I'm losing my voice the longer I talk, and I have to teach four sessions tomorrow. <laughs> Good luck with that. Thank you. I went worse by Tuesday. Oh, great. And I'm already halfway there. Ta da. Well, yeah, we had a great time. So thank you, Pastor Jamie and Darlene, for having us in. If you were on the weekend and you're listening to this, thank you for coming. We hope you had as much fun as we did too. So then we drove home from the weekend. Only to find that both our girls have strep throat. And the people that took care of them on the weekend while they were getting sick and running them to the doctors were amazing. Yes. Thank you very much for going the extra mile yes. with our kids. Yeah. Shout out to Kate and Karis. You you made our weekend possible. So they're on antibiotics, which mm-hmm. means I'm working from home tomorrow. You are. Because Abby can't go to school because she got a fever today. Yeah. Fun, fun, fun. Well, this week we're joined by a special guest and our friend, 
Elena Stratton. Yes. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. You realize this is your second time on our podcast? Yes, I realize that. You're a celebrity. I feel like it. <laughs> the first time you were on our podcast, that episode is the most listened to episode in the history of Keeping Up With The Joneses. That blows my mind. So no pressure. Just be as good today as you were then, and, and that will be perfect. <laughs> Great. I think I can do it. Then you'll be competing with yourself. Yes. That's healthy. <laughs> so for people who've not had the pleasure of being Elena Stratton, Elena, I'm going to introduce you and see what you think of that. You write at Liberty, a blog for women on a journey of intimacy and destiny. We've known you for how long? Four years. We had the privilege of marrying you and your sweet husband, Blake. You've been a student with us at the School of Supernatural Life for two years. You've been part of our staff. If there's anybody who is qualified to write about the journey of intimacy and identity, it's Elaine Stratton. I absolutely agree. You are one of the most emotionally alive people we know. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> yeah, but do you remember we had dinner one, one night and I was just sitting looking at you and I was just thinking, oh, you have something I don't. You have like a full spectrum of emotions that are online. And I just leaned forward and was like, hey, would you pray for me? I, I like what you have. I do remember that. It was so awkward for me because you're my pastor and I'm like, I don't know what I have to give, but here I go. You, you have the full range of emotions and Technicolor, yeah. and I think it's beautiful. I think too, like in saying you're, you have the full range of emotions, while you have that, I would say you're a very healthy full range of emotion person oh, yeah. who's not fragile, but like experiences and feels everything, which I think is fantastic. Oh, yeah. I hope that didn't come across as negative. It was supposed to be a compliment. No, I just wanted to clarify for people that don't know her. Oh, I see. That, you know, it's, you just, you greet life with all of your emotions ready to go, which most of us probably don't and could do with a douse of. But if you, if you think about it, like, your emotions come out in everything you do. So, like, you're one of my favorite dancers. You're on our, our worship team and creative arts team as a dancer. And I love when you dance. I think it's amazing. You are an incredible writer. You're an incredible speaker. Like, you're a great conversationalist. So, you, you have, like, it's not just, like, your emotions are, oh, Elena's crying. She's emotive. I mean, everything you do, like your Instagram feed, everything is laced with this beautiful display of, of the full range of emotions. I think it's amazing. Thank you. That's actually one of my most favorite things I think about how the Lord made me and also about the last couple of years because I do think he taught me how to go from being a person that was very reactive and emotional to being a person that could actually just freely experience, like you guys were saying, like the full range of colors and tastes that life has to offer without being manipulative or dwelling or being being too melancholy. Right. Um, so I love that part of the Lord. So I, I do think that's why I'm like that in everything, because I just, I want to taste everything and I want to feel it. I love the highs and the lows. Is sarcasm an emotion? No. Dang it. <laughs> uh, that was the one emotion I thought I'd be well-versed in. Oh dear. Well, Elena, tell us your story. Tell us where you're from. How you ended up in Nashville, Tennessee. Tell us as much or as little as you'd like. Man, that's such a loaded question for me all the time because I never know how much how much to say or how far back to go. Um, but Start I'll, with where were you born? Okay, so I was born outside Chicago in the suburbs um, to a family that wasn't super church-oriented. Okay. We did uh, spend some time at a, at a church in town for a little bit, but that was mostly about community. And we were in the choirs, and that was very fun, but it wasn't at all that— you know, Jesus is real. He loves you. Being saved matters. Like, we just, we didn't care. I actually had a lot of anger towards um, Christians. And that's part of the story of 
my relationship with Blake, my husband, is us being middle schoolers, meeting in seventh grade band, and having debates on AOL Instant Messenger about <laughs> like who God is. And well, how yeah. can I ask, how did you become an angry seventh grader? And why was Christianity the focus of your anger? I think that would go back to having just difficult experiences with dads. So Really? Yeah. So I I grew up in a paradigm that, you know, myself and my mom and my sisters, that we were strong women and we didn't need anybody. And the reason we knew that was because a lot of bad stuff had happened to us. Right. Including, you know, dads leaving and divorce. So my paradigm had no space for really kind men or father figures, good fathers. Yeah. So when we were at that church, when I was a kid, I remember very distinctly when our pastor was giving a message and I am sure that I am missing the bigger picture because I was like six. Sure. But I remember hearing him say the phrase, you will never be good enough for God. And he was teaching something about humility or like the smallness of like i don't know i like or the I, need for christ or yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but your six-year-old brain caught <laughs> i will never be good enough yeah and i think subconsciously i already knew that i didn't feel good enough i already knew that i wasn't worthy enough for my dad to stay but i hadn't even gotten to a point in my life yet that i knew like i understood that i did that didn't come to light for me until years later like during the school and i was like oh like that shaped everything for me father heart week must have been fun for you (laughs) i cried on that red carpet and lost all the liquid in my body crying (laughs) and snot oh but it changed my life that makes so much sense yeah that makes so much sense so i think when you know someone like blake comes along and they're like well everybody has to be saved and and also he wasn't really set up well to like evangelize as a middle schooler you know it wasn't his fault but you only can do what you have revelation for so for him he's like well you have to be saved and if you're not saved you're going to hell which at the time i was like mm, i don't know like you're saying that god loves people but that doesn't sound very loving to me right and so i had all this anger i think that if you are if you're hurt um like which i was you will have anger and then you will find a way to attach that to anything you can so you know i mm-hmm. think it was just the anger target du jour was you know christians and their hypocritical beliefs about a loving god that makes so much sense okay so chicago then when we met you you had been in los angeles and new york city yep so you just hit the two big cities of of culture in america yeah i think that again the kindness of god working in my life before i knew him was to really give me all the desires of my heart that now I can look back and I'm like, oh, that's not normal. Like, not everybody gets to live in three major cities right? to pursue their dreams, you know, like I was. And what was your dream in Los Angeles? I would have said my dream was to go to a university that would allow me to study dance and also help people. Right. Underneath that was the dream of getting away from my hometown Mm -hmm. and the things that had hurt me. which I think is a common motivation for a lot of people. For sure. (laughs) But I I saw college as a way to get away. I was like, I'm going to New York or I'm going to LA. That's what you do if you're going to dance. Um, And I wanted to be the best. So it was like a pretty easy decision. I was like, oh, I'm going to Los Angeles. What, what, What was your time like? Just out of interest, what was your time in LA like? It was very beautiful and also very hard. But for me in my life, until I knew Jesus, 
mostly it was very hard all the time. And you didn't know Jesus when you were in LA? No. So at that point, um, I had chosen the university I chose because it was a Jesuit university and all of their spiritual ideals really spoke to me. I don't know what Jesuit means. Oh, so um, Jesuits are a kind of Catholic. Oh. And so they are... um, Oh, what is the word? Not pastors, but like the like brothers and fathers. They're the, like fathers, the priests. They're, right. they're in order. Okay. Yeah. And they're quite liberal. So a lot of their teaching is based in the idea of um, Catholic social teaching, which is really like serving, yep. you know, doing volunteer service and being aware of social justice issues. Um, but also uh, for us at school was how do you be a man or a woman for others and how do you see God in all things? So that spoke to me as sure. a person that I really had this bend that I wanted to help people. I didn't know what that meant. I was also an artist. I wanted to do dance, but their whole thing was God is in all things, which was safe for me. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to commit to Jesus. Right. I didn't have to be saved, but I could experience God in all things. That was attractive to me. And then also through that, we learn how to love and serve others. And I was like, that's something I can get behind. Which knowing you today in your saved state, like those core values are still there. Like, you, you know, your love to see God in all things, but of course a redeemed version of that and your heart to serve people. Totally. And it's neat for me because when I got saved, I was living in New York. And at that time I had shifted gears. I had given up on dance and in my mind, I was like, I'm just going to go to grad school and become a social worker or do creative art therapy. Because for me, that's the best way I could think to marry this heart for people and all my creative leanings. And I really thought I had it figured out. Like I just tied it up in a nice little box and I was like, <laughs> did it. Yeah. But then I moved here, had my entire world turned upside down, actually met the Lord, experienced his love, and was really surprised to see that although I was totally prepared to give up all of those things, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what God has for me. I think that like the right thing is to want to do whatever the Lord wants you to do, but he's completely restored those things in a different form, which I think is really amazing, and in ways that I either wouldn't have thought or ways that I wouldn't have wanted. But now, it reminds me a lot of your episode about finding direction for your life. Oh, wow. And a lot of those same kind of concepts of, you know, you might not think or see that what God has for you is actually what you want, but when you give yourself over the process and you just allow yourself to be like surrendered to love with him, he often will restore the things you really love, but he restores it in a way that it was always meant to be. It's a crazy dynamic, isn't it? But there's no promise of that at the point of sacrifice. At the point of sacrifice, when you're like, okay, I'm going to give this thing up to you. And then you find out he gives you a, a better, shinier, newer, upgraded. Yeah, totally. When I left New York, I just thought I was done. I had a whole, a whole life that I had imagined for myself when I was living there. And it cost me to come here because I had loved those things. Like you grow to love the dreams that you have and they give you security because it's like, I know who I am and I know I'm moving forward because of that. But then you have God and it's like you're actually moving towards him. But it did. It cost me Mm -hmm. to come here. I felt like I was the image I always had was just kind of like gathering all of Manhattan in my hands and just giving it to the Lord. So that cost me. And it really in the end, it was an easy. It was easy because of what I've gotten. But at the time, like I didn't know. All I knew was that, you know, my friends 
were kind, but kind of thought I was weird. Your friends in New York, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know if those relationships would survive, and most of them haven't. And I knew that it was really confusing for my family, and I was risking my relationship with them. So, just so I understand, so your family and your friends, they weren't saved, so watching you get saved and move move away from New York City, like this this amazing hub of life and thriving to go to, to Franklin, Tennessee, like just to the south, to this like country music, like what? They just had no grid for it. Is that right? Totally. And you, did you, how much grid did you have? Because when you said you got saved in New York, but you met the Lord in, in Nashville, help me with that. That's interesting because I think I started to experience the Lord much earlier in my life. Right. So to say that I got saved in New York and met the Lord in Nashville is partially true. Right. But maybe not the whole truth. And I think, again, it's just the kindness of God with my story that He has always showed me so much kindness and compassion mm-hmm. that even when I was in LA, there are distinct moments that I can point to where I know the Lord spoke to me Whoa. before I wanted to know that it was Him. How kind of Him to care for me, even when I hated Him. Right. Because I still wasn't on board of Jesus. There is an exclusion thing with being saved that really rubbed me the wrong way. And I think that a lot of non-Christians in our world today, that's their same same bend. Same thing. See, this side of the revelation of the cross, we forget Jesus Christ is a stumbling block. Yeah. But it's hugely offensive Mm -hmm. to the world to say, oh, no, there is only one God. And there is actually only one way to God. I mean, it flies in the face of the coexist bumper sticker crowd, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. So how did you get saved then? feel like that journey kicked into action when I was living in LA the first year after college, mm-hmm. which was my absolute rock bottom. Wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't off doing anything too crazy. But for me, the level of depression and anxiety and loneliness I felt was as low as I had ever gotten. Wow. I worked at a restaurant. I partied most nights, drank a lot, didn't have meaningful relationships, didn't have any direction, completely gave up on dance. That was that was the season of my life where I was living with my best friend from college and she would get up every day and go to class or go to rehearsal and she'd be like, Lainey, like come with me, like come on, like you can come. And I just couldn't do it. I just I put my dreams in a graveyard. I was just so sad. I couldn't. During that time I had two experiences of the Lord talking to me. One was very clearly through prophetic words that Blake had sent me. So at that time, Blake, seventh grade friend, now husband, at this point, still friends. We've been friends forever. Sent me prophetic words from Bethel, where he was doing the first year of the ministry school, from several of his girlfriends for my 23rd birthday. And I read those words and it messed me up in a way I had never experienced because I didn't even know if I believed in God, but they told me about my life. So here are these people who've never met you, who are in California, and Blake thinks, you know what would be a great gift for my friend who's an unbeliever is let's get these people to reveal the secrets of our heart on paper. He's so sneaky, isn't he? Yeah, and... I I was so upset. I was calling people and asking, like, do you think this could be real? Because it's accurate. 
it's right. I was just crying and crying. They said all these beautiful things that came to light more for me during SOSL year one when you're learning all this father heart stuff. But the whole thing was like, I see that basically dads have been hard for you. And I feel like life has given you a lot of lemons, but the Lord is saying that you've made some really great lemonade from the lemons that you were given. And they just spoke to me where I was at, but I wasn't like ready to receive it. I just got messed up by it. I was like, oh gosh, this is weird. And I actually ended up going to visit Blake at Bethel that year, not knowing why. And my journey with the Lord has often looked like that in the beginning where there's something in me that wanted him. I felt embarrassed that I wanted to know God. I was scared about what people in my life would think of me. I wasn't sure I wanted to take that risk, but I went anyways and let it mess me up a little bit and then came back. And then because God is kind, he let me just marinate and think about it. He never rushed me, but he made it clear he was after me. Whoa. Yeah. So another time in LA, I remember I would like had gone to a church because again, this is just like a weird thing I did. I would go to church sometimes because I felt good being there. And I was driving back in downtown LA and I stopped at a light. The light turned red. I was just sitting there and I was thinking to myself, this is a death. Like surely this is what death feels like because I was so depressed. I was so sad. I had no idea where my life was going. And I didn't even have a car. I'd borrowed a car. So I'm just in this borrowed car in downtown LA coming home from a church I didn't know I believed in. This is a death. And then I heard a voice in my head say that if this is a death, the next thing is life. And it was just this fleeting thought that I was like, okay, something is going to change. And within a few months of that, I had decided I was going to leave LA because it wasn't healthy anymore right. for me to be there. So that took me to New York. So it was in New York then where things really picked up. I was working with a social services agency, really getting my heart wrecked, just being with people and trying to serve people, trying to understand And while I was there, I started going to a church in Manhattan with a girlfriend of mine, slowly making my way down from the, it was like in this old German church in Chelsea. It was old, historical, beautiful building, very traditional looking. So I started going, I would go in the top balcony. I would just keep to myself. I wouldn't talk to anyone. Slowly over time, made my way down to the main floor in the back and then started scooting up met a woman and uh, who I knew was in charge of the Bible groups, and I asked if I could join one. And I was very clear. I was like, I want to be here. I don't know what I think about Jesus, but I want to learn. She was like, that's great. Come to my house on Tuesday nights. So I did for two years. Went to a Bible study. Whoa. Yeah. That's so funny. I know. Like, and also, why did they let me do that? Sometimes I think back on things and I'm like, is that what favor is? Because... Like, they were so kind to me, and they just, like, let me be amongst them while they were clearly much further down the line than me, you know, but they just, like, let me come and ask my questions and say my crazy non-churchy thoughts. I love it. I I love it. While I was going to that church, I started praying to a God I didn't know was real. I would sit there in the pews, and I would, just with desperation in my heart just be asking in my head i don't know if you're there i feel stupid even asking but if you're real can you come into my heart and do that thing you do whatever that is just come in my heart and do that thing just such a simple throwaway prayer that i forgot that i even said i wasn't like all in i was still very curious and 
I remember saying to a girlfriend, like, I just don't know what I think about this Jesus thing. So your head didn't know what you thought about Jesus, but your heart is praying silent prayers on a pew. Your heart is desperate for salvation, and your mind hasn't caught up to it yet. Yeah. And so you're praying those prayers. You know Jesus is accepting those prayers. You know Jesus is not like, well... I'd love to, but you probably need to do, you know, Bible study 101 to make sure you understand the ramifications of your praying. You know, I think about the sinner on the cross and the Lord, you know, his response and the Lord was like, today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, ah, oh, <laughs> I love that prayer. I love that I was, that I was part of such an intellectual, rational, hip kind of culture in New York. Yeah. Very, you know, very cool, very smart friends, filmmakers and artists and musicians and tech startup owners and things like that. I love the me who was able to go to that church, even though they wouldn't understand it and pray such a, like a childish prayer and not in a bad way, like childlike in a good way. I love that person. I didn't have love for that person really until this past year. It took me some time with the Lord showing me, how much he loved that person for me to know that I could love that person. But truly at that time in my life, I say that it, it cost me something to leave New York to follow the Lord. But I was also like, I was done with myself. That version of yourself, you mean? Yeah. So then in this really, I don't mean this in a bad way, but baby stage of, of Christianity, you moved to Nashville and do school of supernatural life. Explain. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what the question was going to be with that. I mean, that must have just been, I mean, you just jumped in with both feet. Part of that was, once again, hearing the voice of a God I didn't know I believed in speaking to me. And I felt like he said, if you come to Nashville, I will show you what you want to see. At the time, I still had all these questions. I wasn't on board I didn't know, I still felt weird about supernatural stuff, but I, I wanted to know about it. Mm-hmm. So at church, heard it. If you come to Nashville, I will show you what you want to see. So I got on the phone with Blake. Who lived in Nashville who at lived this point. in Nashville and was a small group leader at your school. And I was like, we haven't talked in a while, but I I want to come visit you. I haven't come to Nashville in a while. I'd been here once when he was in college. I was like, I want to come see it. And he was like, great, come hang out. I didn't tell him that it was because I thought God had spoken to me because I was embarrassed. I still wasn't sure that this was real. And I was scared to find out that I was wrong and I would be made a fool. Mm -hmm. So I came to visit twice, once in February, once in March, because once I came here that first time, I couldn't get enough. And I came... I've visited the school, I visited m and I visited Gray Center both times. One of those visits, I met you guys. I met a whole host of people that just loved me and were being so kind to me for no reason. I was like, who are you? Why are you like this? And I had an experience at m where somebody prophesied over me. And I left that night. I was just like crying to Blake in the car. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, it was almost like a panic attack. Like I couldn't control it. Like I couldn't keep it in, but I was just like, he loves us. I didn't know that he loves us. He loves me. I didn't know that he loved me. And so that like changed everything. And on the way back from those trips, I had these incredible experiences where 
like I was able to meet my sister in the airport in Chicago on a layover. Like it just happened that my layover was scheduled for her city. I went there. She met me. She came into the airport through security and everything. And I sat her down and I was so scared to tell her that I think I want to know Jesus because I thought my family hated Jesus. And I told her what I experienced. I told her about the prophetic. I told her about manifestations. I told her about the things I had heard and how I had felt. And I said, I think I want to do this, but I can't do it if it's not going to be okay with you because I can't lose you. And my sister, without really believing in any of this, it's like, you can never do anything that would make me love you any less. I will love you if this is what you want. I can love you. And it just like freed me. Like the Lord just orchestrated all these things during those trips that kind of took away every fear and question I had. And it just felt like this, this beautiful moment of realizing that the Lord had been pursuing me my whole life and then turning around and being like, hey, I choose you too. So then I came to SOSL. It was just like this quick, quick, quick thing for me that once that happened, I don't do things part way. Mm-hmm. I think because I take after my dad, the Lord, I just, I don't do things part way. Right. So for me at that point, I was like, cool, the way I do life hasn't been working out for me so well. So I think it's time to move to Nashville. It was just, it was easy. Like I said, well qualified to write about the journey of intimacy and identity. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So let's switch gears a little bit. And one of the things that we wanted to ask you about is this whole topic of navigating disappointment. So where did that come from? That came from my whole life before Jesus. But more recently, I started to become very curious about and passionate about the experience of disappointment because my husband and I have been going through a very difficult season in 2017 while I was experiencing disappointment in the areas of all of my greatest dreams, all of our hopes, everywhere pretty much except for our marriage. Right. So outside of your marriage, I mean, your marriage is flourishing, mm-hmm. but every, everything else, you can see, oh, there's disappointment there, there's disappointment there, there's disappointment there. Mm-hmm. Okay, wh- Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? How do I, how do I navigate this? Totally. How do I navigate the tension between what I think you want to do and what the reality of my life says. Right. So you learned because you were forced to. We were forced to. And at the same time, while we were going through it, I had seen many of my friends and really powerful people that I loved and admired choosing interesting things during their times of disappointment. And what, what do you mean by interesting things? Are you being kind? I'm being kind. Interesting things meaning... Um, Well, I guess I don't even want to say it that way because part of the strength of the season for me has been giving me an understanding and a compassion for all of us when we're in those places and we're given an option to choose the Lord or choose our pain. Wow. And I just saw so many people choose their pain or choose their own pride or choose... Self-sufficiency. Yes, and it broke my heart. And so when we started going through a really hard time having days where we were waking up Is it just going to be another day where everything is just screaming lack at you? Like, what is going to happen? I understood that that moment where you decide, is this God withholding? Is he punishing me? Is he actually kind? Is he good? Or are you going to choose, I know that you love me, and I think I can love you too, even in this. I understand now 
why people walk away. Wow. Whereas before, I think I had a little bit of judgment about it because I had lived this long life. I remember a girlfriend had said to me one time, she was choosing to walk away from church and she was like, you don't understand this because you didn't grow up in church. My whole life, this has been dictated for me. You got to go off and live your life in New York and be crazy and make your mistakes. I never got to do that. And at the time I was like, I would never go back there for a million dollars. That wasn't a choice. That wasn't, it wasn't presented an option. I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to self-destruct. That sounds nice. I'd like to really run my life into the ground today. I just couldn't understand it. But after going through this season, I think the Lord has given me such a compassion and also like an anger about it. I just, I don't want to see, I get it, but I don't want to see myself, my husband or anybody I know be taken out by disappointment. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So without switching into like a, give me your five top tips for navigating seasons of disappointment, you know, without switching there, because I think what you're describing is one of the most powerful places to offer worship to the Lord. It's easy to worship the Lord when everything's great. So easy. It's important you do that, of course. But the sacrifice of praise comes when your landscape is barren and you're like, like Job, even though you slay me, I will still praise you. I mean, the value and the cost of that worship is enormous. And there's a danger that in our culture, especially in the culture of, you know, the kindness of God, the goodness of God, the blessing, the abundance, that we don't learn to navigate seasons where that isn't the most prominent thing in our landscape. So, I mean, it's funny, I'm, I'm hearing this in, in one sense for the first time, because I know you and Blake, and I see you almost every week, you guys don't have lives marked by disappointment from the external. You guys look like you're flourishing. So, and now I'm hearing some of the behind the scenes. I'm like, wow, like how have you managed to flourish in a landscape that's more barren than you would like? Well, and I think, babe, that's an interesting point because they're talking about this extended season of disappointment. However, you didn't pull away from church. You you kept showing up. You kept pushing into God. And I think that is remarkable. I think that that choice saved us. And that's that's what I mean when I think I understand it, because the second you start cutting yourself off from the Lord or from other people, that's one of the things this has taught me is that your disappointment is going to attack your identity, like who you are and who God is. And it's going to try to shake you from knowing what you know to be true. And it's going to shake up your connection. It's going to attack your connection because if you can get separated out from the herd, you're really vulnerable. Mm. So we weren't always happy about it, but we kept going to church. We had one day when we were eating dinner and something else had fallen through. It was just the string of events that was, it was laughable. And we had gotten to the point where instead of crying and feeling sad, we were actually like, this is ridiculous. Like this is, this clearly has to be some kind of setup because there's no way this is really my life right now because mm-hmm. this isn't who God is. Like this is just insane. But I had a moment where I was like, you know what? Like you can burn my entire life down and I'm not going to turn my back on God because I know it's the only thing that's going to keep me. Like I can't, everything's convincing you like you can't hang out with people because you can't spend money on drinks and dinner. That's where we were at, but choosing to stay connected to each other and choosing to stay connected to the Lord gave us the strength we needed to be able to show up to church and show up to our friends and be honest about where we were at, even though we were humiliated. 
if we hadn't done that, I don't know that things would have worked out as well for us. So for people who are listening today, because this is the type of podcast that people in a good place listen to and think of their friends who are not in a good place and say, you should listen to this episode, you'll be super encouraged. What do you say to the person who's in the season that you were just talking about? There are a couple lessons that I feel like the Lord was teaching me Mm -hmm. throughout this. One of those was just challenging my perspective and my understanding of how he works and what my life should look like. There were a couple times when Blake and I would be talking and he would be discussing something that was happening with his business. And I just had this thing in me that was saying, I don't know if that's if that's exactly the whole picture. And I realized that we tend to look at things as pass or fail, right or wrong. It's usually A or B, good or bad. And sometimes we'll say, oh, but God is the God of the third option. But in reality, he's the God of the infinity option. Right. There's no way for me to know right now what the rest of my life will look like. Four years ago, I thought I was going to be a social worker. Four years later, I'm writing because that's what I actually wanted to do. And the Lord is moving my life to enable the things I've always wanted. But while Blake and I were going through this just over and over again, I just had this thought that I don't know what God is doing right now. And I can choose to have my, to like suspend my intellectual thought about this and trust God and to maybe experience some other kind of revelation, or I can decide that I know what's up and just be ashamed of myself because it always led to shame. It always led to, well, we must not be doing good enough, or this business is going to fail, or we heard God wrong. And we all jump to that very quickly, and I don't think that that's often the truth. I think the truth is there's some kind of delay or something happening that you can't see, and you're going to miss it if you want to kind of hold on to that thing of feeling right. Like, we want to know. It's easier to say this failed, so I should move on. You could do that, and you might take a pass on the very thing the Lord has for you, and what he's actually trying to do is mature you so that you can sustain it, but you're deciding it's failure, and so you're going to say no. Wow. I was reading last night, just going through Scripture, and I was, because I knew that we were going to be talking about disappointment, I just happened to be reading a bunch of passages that end well, but if you stop halfway through, they're just filled with disappointment. I was thinking about Mary and Martha and their their brother Lazarus dies. And they send word to Jesus and he doesn't come. Now, we know the end of the story, but you know, three days later he comes and he resurrects Lazarus from the dead. Yay! But those three days were horrible. Like, you know, I thought, I thought Jesus loved me. I thought Jesus loved Lazarus. I mean, what, what gets filled in the time before God does the breakthrough determines in one sense, it really tests what you believe about the Lord. I was thinking about Joseph. How disappointed was Joseph to find out that his fiancée was pregnant? And it turned out to be the greatest privilege ever. You got to raise the savior of the world. But at the time, it's like, ah. Just even a simple one, like the story about Peter and Jesus going to the temple. I mean, is there a worse feeling than opening up your mail and realizing, on top of all the bills you don't have money to pay for, here comes a surprise one that you di- you weren't prepared for. At least you were. At least you had allocated your shame appropriately to the amount of debt you were already in. But now <laughs> right. here's a new way that you're failing. So Peter and Jesus go to the temple and they're like, "Hey, buddy, where's your temple tax?" And Peter's like, <laughs> "And of course, we go on and read the story. Yay, you catch the fish, and there's a two drachma coin. And, but we we read way too quickly. We live much slower than we read. So it's all too easy to, like you say." 
you know, pass up on what God might be doing. And you never know. You just don't know what the Lord's up to. You don't know the resources that are available to him. And and so, what, what, like, what did you learn? You just brute forced it? Absolutely did not brute force it. I think that's something also that we learned a lot was that I lost the taste for muscling my way through anything because I did not have the strength to do it anymore. That's fascinating. So when you run out of strength to muscle through it, then what? Then you honestly tell the Lord where you're at and you wait for him to show you or tell you something that will sustain you. So for me, that looked like one day feeling completely defeated and wondering if my life would just be an endless cycle of lack and an endless cycle of me messing up, an endless cycle of my dreams not coming true. And looking out on my neighborhood and seeing it like a desert and just realizing, oh, is this what people mean by the desert when they say they have desert seasons? I'm still new at this. I don't know, but I think that's where I'm at. And that's why this has felt so terrible. I hadn't really let myself feel that until that that point, which is another important thing to really feel it while it's happening. But in that moment, I felt like the Lord told me that things that grow in in the desert are the things that can withstand. So the things that we're growing right now are the things that are going to be strong for seasons to come. And again, if I were to focus instead on, oh, like, woe is me, this is unfair, God isn't kind, I'm not really nourishing or tending to the garden in the middle of the desert that the Lord is preparing for me. Mm -hmm. And after I heard that, I could just see every time I looked up, I saw the desert, and then out from the desert would grow this beautiful green garden. And I would remember that the Lord was building things in this time that I couldn't see, but they were going to make me strong and sturdy because things that grow up in the desert do withstand anything. They withstand extreme heat and cold. Nothing lives in that environment that's fragile. And so I knew that the Lord was making me strong. So when I didn't feel like I had any strength, I feel like all I had left was the Lord. And even getting to the point of being able to honestly say, I can't do this. Like, I can't do this if I tried. I can't pay all my debt. I can't get myself a book deal. Like, there's literally nothing I can do to meet my needs today. There's this, like, really real point in desperation of knowing I really only do have the Lord. And I really do think I can still love you and choose to love you in this moment. And throughout choosing that often throughout this season, I got to learn that not only is God's love for me not based off of my performance, but my love for him isn't based off of his because that's a transaction. I didn't become a Christian so that I could get blessed with money or have my problems go away or be healed of depression, though all those things are happening and have happened. But love isn't love if it's based off of what you can prove to me. So although life with God comes guaranteed with blessing and kindness and abundance, which I don't have a problem with, I believe that. Mm -hmm. My entire marriage has been us on a journey of what is abundance in every area of our life? How do we get it? How do we surrender to it? God, who are you? I believe that those things are inherent to life with God. But after all this, I know that my love with the Lord isn't dependent upon what I can get from him. 
And I never knew how to have relationship like that. I never knew how not to earn. I never knew how to, I always just thought people's affection towards me was based off of what I could do for them. We haven't reached that level of breakthrough yet, even where it's like, oh, all of our debt has been paid off or we were given a free car. Like those things are great. And I do believe that the Lord does that. But out of the hardest season of my life, I've gained some of the most powerful lessons I will ever learn. And I think number one is I know that I actually love God now, not just because he made my life pretty, but because he's real to me and he's with me and he was with me when things were hard and he loved me when things were hard and we could worship when things were hard. We could sing in our empty house without furniture and just love him and feel loved by him. And that was actually enough. And all of that sounds super cheesy when you're just saying it, but when you get to live it, it's like the life I want to live. This is the full spectrum part of me. I don't want to just recite pretty verses. I want to know that it's true. And your disappointment can give that to you if you're willing to engage in the process. And if you don't, it's just going to kill you. It's going to suck the life out of everything. But if you engage with it, even in a place of lack, you will gain so much. And it's not just a Hallmark card. It's real. Honestly, I'm I'm so incredibly proud of you. I think... You know, here you are, and I know you're four years in, but you're, I mean, really in a lot of ways, you're, you're a baby Christian, you know, you're a young Christian and you are grasping things that people miss 20 and 30 years in because you're choosing to be in the moment. And, uh, I think it's amazing. I think what we're getting to hear, Elena, is the foundations of what God will do subsequently that people will want. So what I mean by that is it's very easy to look at people who are flourishing today and say, oh, if I do what they do, I'll get what they have. But you actually have to do what they did some 20, 30 years ago, because the thing that you love about this person, whatever it is, their success, their anointing, their lifestyle, is resting on a foundation what you're seeing is decoration. You're not seeing the foundation. So when we would travel with John and Carol, people all the time would say, oh, Carol, I want your anointing. She's like, you can have my anointing if you if you live my life. And so everybody sees, oh, you get to steward revival around the world, but they didn't get to see a single mom with two boys who was scared and alone. And you, do you know what I mean? So right now you and Blake are learning truths that is the bedrock upon which God will build everything else. And in, you know, a year, two years, five years, whatever, when people look and like, oh my gosh, I want what you have, they don't realize that what you have without a proper foundation will kill you. I was thinking the other night about how tragic would it be if the blessings of God became the obstacles to God? Well, what what's happening right now is you have a landscape that when blessing arrives on it, you won't confuse the blessing with the Lord. And I, I think that's amazing. It's not very comforting right now. But it, I th- it's amazing, and you're you're speaking words of wisdom, which, like I said, you can only acquire through costly transaction. So well done. Thanks. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons we invited you on here is I'd read something you'd written about managing um, disappointment. Mm-hmm. It was a great article. And, you know, you're a writer. You're a professional writer. It's what you do for a living. You've helped AJ a number of times with a couple of her books. And... 
you know, in the course of reading that article, you you had summarized like a, a trilogy of things that helped you go through. Can you can you share that with our listeners? So the first thing that I would say is to do everything in your power to hold on to your heart. And what I mean by that is when difficult things happen, we all have safety mechanisms that kick in to keep us from feeling pain. Mm-hmm. And when you're going through a time of disappointment, it is never more important for you to be honest with yourself and the Lord about how you're feeling and to let your inner world thrive and not try to squash it down. So to do that, what you don't want to do is to cover up everything of pretty Bible verses, which is a thing that I hear people do where you're talking about how you're hurting or something's going on and people just want to tell you, oh, but God is good. It's going to be great. He's going to just bring so much out of this for you, which is true. Mm -hmm. But rushing yourself or anybody else from a place of pain to resolution before it's time is really damaging. And I think that's why a lot of people don't make it back from disappointment Mm -hmm. because there's so much shame and trauma that comes from why am I not okay? Why can't I do, you know, if the Lord is good, then why can't I just be okay? Why can't I just move on with this? When really your heart and your spirit and really the Lord are trying to talk to you about something and the Lord can work on that. Like there are things that came up for me, especially with my um, my anxiety tendencies that have come up in this season that in the past I would just watch TV, I would go out and drink, I would do whatever I could to not feel that feeling. Right. But in this season, getting down to the bottom of it and just letting myself and my body manifest the experience of anxiety and asking the Lord, why? Where is this coming from? It allowed me to develop a compassion for myself, but it also allowed the Lord to mature me and teach me something going forward. I'm not going to have to deal with this anymore because I actually dealt with it rather than shoving it down. Mm-hmm. But I just see so often that the second we're hurt, we just take our heart, we put it on a shelf and we're like, we don't have time for you because we're hurt and we're scared. But it's like the worst thing you can do. And it's not the Lord's desire for us that we would be disconnected from what makes us us or our emotions or our feelings or our dreams. He loves our hearts. So we need to learn to love our hearts also. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, um, I would say is hold on to yourself. Meaning before anything changed in my life, circumstantially, I found a way to feel peaceful and powerful without needing those external circumstances to prove to me that I could be that way. When disappointment happens, We feel out of control, we feel scared, and we start to become convinced that we are what's happening to us. And it's that's not true. We are not what happens to us. We are always a child of God. We are always peace. We are always joy because that's what he made us to be. But that's easier to say than it is to do. And so it's actually a blessing to have an experience where you get to learn how to be who you are, especially when external circumstances say that you're not. That's so good, babe. So the third thing then would be to hold on to others. And you'll notice that in this list, I didn't actually say hold on to God, but that to me is inherent in every single one of these things. Right. Because the more I learn to love and have compassion with myself and to get in touch with what really makes me me, the more I learn about God. And I can't actually do that without his help. I don't know who I am without him. So that's kind of like inherently built in for me. It's like what Pastor Tony said, that God wants me to treat me like he would treat me. Absolutely. Uh, Gosh, which is the hardest thing ever. Yeah. It's so hard, but one of the most powerful things of the season for me has 
literally just to be hearing my own voice defending myself against the lies that I hear in my head. Wow. Because we're not powerless. We're not. The Lord will fight our battles for us and we don't have to strive or perform. But he's a good dad and he's going to set you up to be able to manage your life and be powerful and know that you're worth enough to fight for because he's already won the fight. Everything's taken care of. So I'm actually very free to learn how to love myself. And when things happen in my life and disappointments like God's not so good, is he? Or was it worth the risk that you took? Or, you know, your life's not going exactly where you thought it was going for me to be able to rise up and remind myself, no, this is what's true about God. I know that he loves me. And actually, I know that I'm not powerless. I'm not a victim. I'm strong. I'm healthy. I have joy. That's who I am. And I think it's a powerful thing. I mean, I don't parent. You guys do. You would know. But I think that there's something where as a a good parent, you train your child to be so rooted in, in love and assurance that they're not going to allow you know, circumstances just push them over, but they're going to know who they are and be able to confidently say without bitterness or offense, but just be like, no, I know who I am. Mm -hmm. I can't, you're not going to take that from me. I won't allow you to rob from me my joy because it's actually part of who I am. That changed a lot for me. But again, you know, that comes from knowing who you are in God. Um, The third thing that I was going to say was that holding on to your other's point, which was, the idea of staying in connection with other people because we tend to isolate when we feel embarrassed or when we're ashamed of what's happening. And that is the number one tactic I think of the enemy to keep, I don't, you know, I don't like thinking in those terms. I don't think everything in my life is an elaborate strategy of anyone, but God, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in that, but I do think it, it is true that if you want to disempower a child of God, you want to cut them off from their source, which is the Lord and others, because we were built to be in relationship. So I just really encourage myself and Blake all the time not to take the bait of isolation and not to believe that I can't present myself or my problems to other people uh, because it's, it's too messy. I had some girlfriends, I'm in a, a group of writers and there was a week where I didn't want to go because I was so embarrassed and defeated because I couldn't buy a cup of coffee. We just, we go to a coffee shop and we write for a couple hours and we drink coffee and I couldn't afford it. And I texted all of them and I was like, I'm so sorry. I just can't get it together. I'm not going to come today. And all of them immediately were texting me back and they knew what was going on. Like, we know what's going on in your life. We know that this feels scary for you, but we want you to know that if you come, we will buy you coffee, not because we feel obligated, but because we love you and we know where God is taking your life. So you can stay home if you want and we'll love you all the same, no pressure. But if you come, you don't have to worry about it feeling weird or awkward because we have no judgment for you. And it was just like those things that break your rocky exterior. Yeah. You just want to protect yourself and then you realize, oh, like the thing that I'm afraid of, which is being exposed, is actually the thing that's going to save me and remind me that God loves me and I would miss it if I stay home under the covers which is what i'd rather do wow yeah so hold on to your heart hold on to yourself hold on to others yep so good babe so good 
the other reason we want to have you on was we're so proud to see you launch a new venture. Both you and your husband have just pioneered this new entrepreneurial aspect of your life. So your husband is this marketing and communications genius who started his own company. And you started your own, this writing portal called Liberty. Talk to us about the journey to starting Liberty and then tell us how, you know, where do people find you? Liberty is a blog that was born several years ago from a simple thought that I loved dating and I wasn't hearing enough conversation or finding enough resources about how great dating can be with God. And I was hearing a lot of my friends having difficulties in relationship and dating and engagement and marriage. And a lot of what I was hearing didn't match with my understanding of who God is or what he has promised us. Wow. So I began thinking about dating, engagement, process with the Lord, all the while having a really amazing experience myself. I loved dating Blake. I loved being engaged. It wasn't without difficulties, but I learned so much about myself and God's love for me in those times. And I think it's entirely possible to be fully engaged in a passionate love story with a person while also being engaged in a passionate love story with God. And I don't know that I always hear people talking about it that way. Mm. So fast forward several years, and what I've come to realize is that all those things are actually just a byproduct of intimacy. And what you experience in intimacy is influenced by your identity. It's what you know is true about you and what you believe is true about God. And that understanding has shaped most of my life the last four years. And I think it's really important, not only for me, but for women like me. And I know that women like me exist. So I just wanted to create something online that would provide both what I kind of call prose writing, more long form poetic essays that I write, as well as articles and interviews with other women on their own journeys of intimacy and resources that would help women to connect to their hearts and connect to the Lord and connect to their spouses and their friends better. So that's really what that is about. And people can find that online at readliberté.com as well as on Instagram at read.liberté. And I'll put a link in the show note to both Read Liberté and uh, Instagram. What if people want to connect with you personally? If people want to to connect with me personally, they can find me on Instagram at underscore Lane Strat. Again, I'll put a link yeah. rather than spelling. <laughs> I'll put a link like, in the show uh... notes. <laughs> I'm also on Twitter at Elena Brienne. Any closing thoughts for us or any resources that you'd like to recommend? I would like to encourage people to the resource of themselves and to not be afraid to spend time chasing down the things that they think make themselves wonderful because you're not wrong. Like you were made for wonderful things and you're actually very awesome. And it's not unchristianly to think of yourself because the Lord is thinking of you all the time. And in my life, all the most wonderful things that I'm experiencing right now were not on the other side necessarily of me agreeing with something the Lord wanted me to do that I hated. It was me letting him convince me that I actually was worth something Mm. and really lovely and that I was good enough for this wonderful thing he had. And the whole idea of of Liberté is, is just not to settle for less than what God has promised you. There's so much available to us. And so everything I'm passionate about right now is just 
you're not wrong. You were made for more. We are all made for more. God has it for you and it's possible. And so don't be, don't shy away from yourself and what's inside you. Don't shy away from the Lord in those places. I think that's, those are the two best resources I can think of. It's what God has already put inside you and the Lord himself. And then there's lots of great books and things, but if you don't have the inner soil for those things to be planted and it doesn't matter. Well, Elena Strand, thank you so much for joining us and sharing some of your story. We love you. We're so proud of you and Blake. And we know that our listeners are going to be encouraged. Guys, if you want to learn more about Elena, check the show notes for the links to Liberté, her Instagram and her Twitter. Again, thank you, Elena, for being here. Okay, babe, that was fun. In closing, what do we need to tell the people about? Well, we are looking for a U.S.-based outreach location for our School of Supernatural Life students to come and visit and minister. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you are a senior leader in your church and would like to have 10 to 15 students from our school come and serve your church for a week or so sometime next March, please send an email to school at gracecenter.us and we'll see if we can make something incredible happen. If you can think of somebody who might be encouraged by the stuff that Elena shared this week, do them a favor, share this episode with them on Facebook or Instagram. And finally, if you're a regular listener to the podcast and would like to support the show, head over to alanandaj.com slash support. We've created a Patreon account for listeners like you to be able to support the show for as little as $3 a month. And in return, you get some behind the scene goodies. Thank you to our Patreon supporters that have already signed up. And until next time, we're praying you have an incredible week. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God are things we deal with every day. From Franklin, Tennessee, they are just like you and me. Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, sharing their life experiences, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, they talk about faith in God, and everything under the sun, if you are a human being, there's something here for everyone.